Okay, we're going to start here with the Mishnah on Lamed Aleph. Lamed Aleph. The Mishnah says, Gimel Dvarim, Tzarech Adam Lomar, B'toch B'toch Erev Shabbat. There are three things that a person needs to say in his house on Erev Shabbat. Im HaShekha, as nightfall approaches. As Rashi points out, if he mentions them much earlier, then we'll get the normal procrastination, which is, we have a lot of time left to do it. So it has to be done closer to nightfall, where the issues are impending, and therefore, when he asks the questions, it'll trigger the response, or the proper response, which is to get them done. The first two are questions, which is, Isartem, did you take off the Trumot Masrot? The reason for that is, one may not remove Trumot Masrot on Shabbat. A Takana, it's a Shvot, a Isur de Rabbanan, to take off Trumot and Masrot on Shabbat, because it looks like you are being mitakain. Iravtem, did you prepare the Eruv? Over here, Rashi says it's Eruv Tchumim Vichat as borrowed for Tukumim and Chatzirot, we'll see in the Gemara, we'll discuss exactly which Eruv that we're speaking about here. Now, both of those are posed as a question because they're not obvious. The answer is not obvious. And therefore, the Balabayit wants to ensure both of them were accomplished, taken care of, prior to the Shabbat. So he poses the question, Isartem, Iravtem. The next one is, Hidliku etaner, light the candle. That's a tzivoy. That's not a question. Rather light the candle because it's obvious whether they've lit the candles or not. You can see. That's a visible melacha. He'll know if they lit the candles. And therefore this stays not a question but rather a tzivoy, a command to liquid and air. Make sure that you light the candles now. Safek ha-shecha, safek ha-shecha. If it's a safek, then whether it's nightfall has come or not, you reach the point where it's probably after shkiah but it hasn't reached nightfall yet, then, one is no longer allowed to take off trumot and masrot when you know for certain that this food, this produce, requires trumot and masrot to be removed from it. That is, even though this is a dinder abanan, the restriction against removing trumot and masrot on Shabbat is only a dinder abanan. Despite that fact, benesh mashot, during the twilight time, one may not remove Trumot Masrot from something that Vadai requires, absolutely requires the removal of Trumot Masrot. Vein bat bilim et kelim. And similar, one may not take kelim to the mikveh to make them usable on Shabbat. And that's again for the same reason, which is tikkun kli. Chazawar goes there that one may not take a kli to the mikveh to make it functional on Shabbat, because that's like tikkun kli. So again, both of these, which are isurim de Rabbanan, Apply even benesh mashot. Apply even during this time of twilight. Vein madikimet and I wrote. And then obviously one may not light candles. There we're dealing with an iser minat Torah, an iser del raita, not to light candles during that period of time. Rashi says the Mishnah is laid out in the literary style of zuv and zarechlamarzu. This item, and of course the next item you would have known, even if you didn't say it. I tell you already that there are isurim derabanan that you may not do during the twilight time, then certainly you cannot do Isurim Deoraita during that period of time. Again, it's a literary style of the Mishnah. Rashi is just pointing out that that's the structure of this Mishnah. Aval, what you can do is, Masrimet Admai. When it comes to Dmai, Dmai is produce that was purchased from Amaret. There you can take off Trumoto Masrot. We take off Trumoto Masrot from Dmai Misafek, because we're uncertain as to whether the Amaret really did it. And Misafek, we take it off. So as Rashi points out, Rov Ameyaretz Masrinheim, the majority of Ameyaretz do take off Trumot Masrot. So here it's not certain that what you're doing is really being Mafrish Trumot Masrot. And since now we have a Safek going into the Shabbat during a period of time that is also a Safek, 
There we will allow you to be mafrish the trumot masrovim demai. And you also may be ma'arvin. You can put out an eruv. Again, that is a question, obviously a stira to what we saw in the previous part of the Mishnah, which seems to indicate that you had to have the eruv done before nightfall, before the sunset, because that's why he's posing the question of iraptem. Poses the question of iraptem because it's got to be completed before it gets dark. And then over here, it sounds like you can do it even afterwards. So we have to reconcile those two. And you can put things that are hot, you can encapsulate them, cover them, put them into something that will be shomer on their heat, insulate them, and keep the heat in the pot. The Gemara will discuss this later in the Masechet as well, what the dinim of hatmana are. But the general principle is that one may not be tomein, may not insulate with items that are called mosif hevel, items that increase the intensity of the heat or add to the heat. So, for instance, even today, one cannot leave on the blech an item and then cover it entirely with towels or some sort of special cover, because that's hatmana, on something that is mosif hevel. Okay, there's a heat source, and it's totally encapsulated, so one can't do that. Even on the daytime. That's even going into Shabbat. We'll see today why. On the other hand, one may be tomain in something that is not Mosif Hevel. Something that maintains the heat, but does not increase the heat. One can do Atmana. And generally, we would say that one should do that before nightfall. But have they haven't done it before nightfall, then they may be able to do it during this period of Benesh Mashot. So Mer says, Where do we know this from? So I'm Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi Amakra. The Pesach says, Viadato kishalom ohalecha. You should know that there is peace in your tent. Ufakarata navcha. And when you check up on your dwelling place, below techata, you won't find anything amiss. So that's the pasuk. What does that have to do with our Mishnah? So there are a number of interpretations you can see here in the Masoret Shas. He brings down from the Shiltot the explanation. The Shiltot says, Vilo ma'arve. If they don't make an eruv, caveman did lo shari le mane. Since one may not be able to carry, like a shama vebete. There's no peace in the house. If you do not light a candle, then there's also no peace in the house. If you didn't take out Shuvah to Masroth, there won't be what to eat. So what the Shiltot says, the Pasuk is telling us, that you have to be sure that Shalom Alecha, that there will be Shalom Bayit. How do you ensure there's Shalom Bayit? You take care of these issues. Having a candle lit. Having the Eruv put in place, this is clear in Eruv wrote the ability to carry around the Chatzer and from house to house. And you will make sure that the Shemot Masrot are removed so that you have what to eat over the Shabbat. On the other hand, if you look in the Rosh and the Iran, they give alternative explanations. In the first two cases, they're the same, which is, V'adata ki shalom ohalecha. What do we know has the Din of Shalom Bayit? That's Adlakat Nerot Shabbat. We saw earlier already in this parak that one of the reasons for Lakat Nerot Shabbat is for Shalom Bayit. And therefore, Vayadatak Yishom is a hint to the idea that you have to ask about the Nerot, ensure that the Nerot are lit, because that brings Shalom Bayit. Ufakarata Navcho. And then you have to check on your dwelling place. You have to check on your household. That is, Eruf Chatzerot. You have to make sure that your dwelling is accessible, you have the ability to carry around, that everything is right. And you will not sin. Instead of saying there's nothing amiss, you will not sin. So here, here the Ran and the Rush diverge slightly, which is they both say it's talking about Trumoto Masrot, the removal of Trumoto Masrot. One says it's in order, you won't sin, you won't eat Tevel. Therefore, 
you have to be mafrish beforehand in order that you won't sin and eat tevil on Shabbat. The other one is lotechata, that you won't have a shortage of mazon, of food, on Shabbat. So techata here means chisaron, lacking in some way. On Shabbat, which would be problematic. So therefore, it's below techata. So those three items are hinted to in the pasuk, that these three items need to be addressed before Shabbat. Now, we have a qualification here, which is Amar Baravuna. According our Mishnah, even though the Mishnah says one should pose those questions, make the command to light the candles, one has to say it with a gentle voice. In order that the people who are responding, the household who is responding to him, should accept it from him. Now that is a multifaceted solution here. One is, if the person is angry, and does it in an angry manner, then they probably will not get the right answer back. Which is when he poses the question, the question will be answered in the affirmative, even though it's not true. And the other side is true, which is that also, if they're angry or screaming, people may not respond to them and do what they're asking them to do, because of the affront of the way they're speaking. The Gemara in Gitin says that a person should say it, and a person who doesn't, a person who does it with anger or screams in the house results in three Averot, Gilu Arayot, Shvichut Damim, and Chilul Shabbat. Some of the Rishonim bring down or quote that from the Gemara in Gitin and say that if a person doesn't do a Benichuta, then he will get the answer in the affirmative, even though it's not true. And so, for instance, you'll have over there, the Gemara is talking about Tvila, that his wife, whether she's gone to the mikveh, taking care of everything, and so again, she'll answer in the affirmative even though she's still a nida. So that'll be Gilu Arayot, Shvichut Damim, there the Rishonim disagree, whether it's because the woman will run away, or whether there'll be some sort of altercation in the house, and because of that, there'll be Shvichut Damim, and Chilul Shabbat is obvious over here, which is that they'll feel pressure to light the candles, they'll feel pressure to do these things, even though the Shabbat has come. So therefore, there's reason to do this in a proper manner. So, Amaravashi, Ana lo shmeli had the Rabbah Baruhuna. I never heard this advice of Rabbah Baruhuna. Vikayamti misvara. But I did it out of logic. Meaning that it made sense to me. It was something that was sensible. And I did it even though I didn't have the misora for it. Now the Gemara goes back to the Mishnah. We point out to the Mishnah, which is Hagufa Kasha. There's an eternal steer on the Mishnah. Amart, Shloshad, Varim, Zurich, Adam, Lotomar, Betoch, Beto, Erev Shabbat. There are three things that a person has to say Erev Shabbat, Im Chashecha, with the approach of nightfall. Im Chashecha in, Safeik Chashecha, Safeik Inu Chashecha lo. He must ask it as nightfall approaches, as the sun sets, but once he reaches the point where it's already a Safeik, whether night has approached or not, lo, then he doesn't ask these questions anymore because they can't do anything about it. You're already past the time where you can do anything with it. Vahadar Tani. And afterwards it says, Safeik Chashecha, Safeik Inu Chashecha, Me'arev. That you're allowed to do an Eruv, even after the time period where it's a Safik. How is it possible that he's asking the question of Eruvim? Did you do the Eruv implying that that must be completed before Chashecha? And then when you have Safik, Chashecha, Safik, and you can do the Eruv. So how do we reconcile between these? So I'm a Rabbi Avo. I'm a Rabbi Chia, Bar Ashi, I'm a Rav, Lokasho. That's fine. Kan Beiruvei Tchumin, Kan Beiruvei Chatserot. Depends what type of Eruv that you're speaking about. Which is which, Rashi says... Tosafot, in the end, agrees with this, even though the Rabbeinu Tam originally had the opposite conclusion. In the end, Tosafot comes around to Rashi's explanation as well, which is, that when it comes to Erev Tchumin, 
Erev Chunin, as Rashi says, is a Tikkun Ma'aliyo. It's a full-fledged Tikkun de Rabbanan. Tasmuchua Rabbanan Tchumim Akrai. Because the Erev Tchumim is something that's based on the Psukim. Even, according to one who says Tchumim are de Rabbanan, there's still at least an Asmachto, there's at least a hint of this in the Psukim, that one may not go too long a distance, or too far a distance on Shabbat. Therefore, Erev Tchumim must be completed before nightfall. It has to be completely done before nightfall because that's a full-fledged takana de Rabbanan. On the other hand, Eruv Eichatzerot is what Rashi calls a Chumra Ba'alma. It's just a stringency de Rabbanan. There really is no restriction against carrying within the Chatzer. It's considered to be a Rashut Yachid from house to house, from house to Chatzer, Chatzer to the Bayit. All of those are considered to be a Rashut Yachid Mina Torah. The Chamim were instituted that they do not consider it a Rashut Yachid Shema. Because maybe people confuse that with carrying out into the Rishuta Rabim. So in order to prevent people making the mistake of Mali, taking out of my house into the Chatzer, which is from single ownership to multiple ownership, what's the difference <coughs> taking out from my house or the Chatzer to the Rishuta Rabim, which is also multiple ownership, meaning the public domain. And so in order people will not confuse that, they created Erev Chatzerot, which was a kind of joint ownership in the Chatzer to make it into an equivalent of a single ownership so people would know that this applies here, but not to the Rishut Rabim. So that is a Chum Rabbaumah, it's only an institution the Rabbanan, in order to prevent some other problems from happening. So there, we're making to allow you to do it, even Ben Hashmashot. So you can have an Erev Chatzirot be done even Ben Hashmashot. That means that the question being posed in the Mishnah, Yeravten, is did you put together the Erev Tchumim? Is the Erev Tchumim set up already? Whereas, it could be the question is still Erev Chatzirot as well. But if the Erev Chatzeret is not completed, you will have another opportunity to deal with it. Benesh Mashot, when it's Safeik HaShavicha, Safeik Enech HaShicha. Rashi says it's an institution of the Rabbanan. Even according to the Rishonim who believe that Erev Tukumim is the Rabbanan, some of them believe there's still a level where it reaches the Oraita. There is a time where it reaches a Torah level, even though the main institution of Tukumim is the Rabbanan. So even if you don't believe Rabbi Kiv is right, that Tukumim is the Oraita, there are some of the Rishonim believe that there still is a concept of Tukumim Doraita once you reach like 12 mil, a certain amount of distance. Two people told him, say, Ve'arev Aleinu. Go make an Erev on our behalf. Rev alav mi From one of them, he took care of the Erev while it was still daytime. Rev alav ben Hashmashot. And the other one, he took care of the Erev during that twilight time. Rev alav mi ben the one who put out the Eruv when he did it during the daytime, his Eruv was consumed, eaten, during the period of Ben Hashmashot, whether by an animal or by a human. And the one for whom he put out the Eruv, Ben Hashmashot, during that twilight period, his Eruv was eaten after nightfall. Again, that doesn't really make a difference. Even if it's not eaten, the same thing applies, which is, Both of them, the Eruv works. So both of these have accomplished an Eruv here. Right, even though it's not existing, right, which the Gemara is going to ask your question right now. Monavshach, excuse me, you have to make a pick here. If Benesh Meshot is still daytime, that twilight period is still classified as daytime, then the latter Eruv that he put out will be a good Eruv, because his Eruv was put out, quote-unquote, Benesh Meshot, and exists at nightfall. Whereas the first Eruv he put out was done before Benesh Meshot, and is gone by Benesh Meshot. means the Eruv doesn't exist. When it's Shabbat, it never exists at nightfall. So then, Kama Lolikne, then the first Eruv should not be successful. Vi Benesh Meshot Lel Yahu, 
If Ben Shashot, that twilight time, is considered to be night time, nightfall, then Kamalikne, the first one should be successful because his Eru was done prior to the twilight period during the daytime and exists once Shabbat entered, which is at nightfall. And then it's eaten. But the other one, the second Eru that he put out, that Eru was only put out at nightfall. It was only put out on Shabbat itself. So why should it work? Batralolikne. Then the latter Eru should not work at all. Kamar's answer is Benish Mashot Sveikohu. Benish Mashot is a Safek. Usveika derabanan lekula. Since Benish Mashot is a Safek, and that Safek exists when we're dealing with a Din derabanan or a Safek derabanan now. So now we have a Safek in a Din derabanan. We go Safek derabanan lekula. Therefore we go lekula and we say that they both are successful because even though they are mutually exclusive in a sense, these two Eruvin, in one scenario, it is a good Eruv. In the other scenario, it's not a good Eruv. That means I have a Safek. I have a Safek whether you were successful or not. If I have a Safek whether you are successful or not in a Din de Rabbanan, we say Safek de Rabbanan de Kula, and it works, and it functions. So again, even though they're mutually exclusive, we say that they both function. Over here, for each individual, we give them the benefit of the doubt. All right, now, the question you have to answer here, nobody asked me, which is, what Eruv are we talking about here? So it seems obvious from the Gemara, and that's the way Rashi explains it, that we're talking about Eruv Tchumin. Because it says, Tzei Beirei Valenu. Go out and put an Eruv. Eruv Chatserot. You don't have to go out to do an Eruv Chatserot. You do it in the local area. But the Eruv Tchumin, you go out to do. The problem with explaining that, and it should be obvious from the Gemara, is that we just offered up that solution to the Mishnah. The contradiction in the Mishnah was whether you can put out an Eruv, Benesh Mashot, or whether you have to put the Eruv out during daytime. What was the Gemara's solution? Well, when it comes to Eruv Tchumin, they must be put out before Benesh Mashot. With Eruv Chatserot, you did have the option to put it out, Benesh Mashot. That means from the Mishnah, you cannot put out your Eruv Tchumin, Benesh Mashot. So why is the Gemara discussing all of a sudden that you're dealing with an Eruv Tchumin, Benesh Mashot? Okay, very good. So that would be the solution. The way to explain Rashi's explanation of Eruv Tchumin is to say that what Shaul just suggested, that one is L'chadchila. If you ask us, can you put out an Eruv during that time, we're going to tell you, no, don't put out Benesh Mashot. If one does put out an Eruv Tchumin Benesh Mashot, what is the din? And that might be what the Gemara is addressing here. That's the explanation of Rashi, which is it's a question of B'dieved versus L'chadchila. On the other hand, Tosafot rejects that and says that we have to be talking about here is Farish Rebbeinu Tam, Tahachamari Be'irivei Chatzerot, V'chein Perish Rach, and the Rebbeinu Chananel says the same thing. That even though the Lashon of Tzei Be'irei Manu sounds like Erev Tchumin, nevertheless, in order to make it flow with the Gemara better, he says we're talking about Erev Chatzerot here, where the Gemara already said you can do it, Benesh Mashot. And therefore here he's doing it, L'Chatchila, he did it, Benesh Mashot. Did one of them before, and then one of them in Benesh Mashot. And that's why we're going to Kula over here, is because we're dealing with a Dinder Abanan, which is permitted to be done, Benesh Mashot. That is the din of Eruvei Chatzerot. So now, the continuation of the Gemara Omarovah. In these, all these cases, there's some question as to whether the Girsu should be Rabo and not Rabo. But Omarovah, Pnei Ma'amru, Ein Tomnim Badavar, She'enu Mosif Hevel Misha So what is the problem with encapsulating, insulating an item that is not Mosif Hevel, has no heat source, has no ability to increase the level of heat in there, so it's simply an insulator, why may you not do that, Mehashecha, after it's already nightfall? Why can't you do that? Gezeira, Shema, Yertiach. Gezeira, that we're worried about the fact that you will do it with something that is Mosif Hevel. You're putting it in with something that's Eno Mosif Hevel. But now, what we're going to happen is that you're going to 
put it in there with something that is Mosif Hevel. So we don't want you doing it She'en Mosif Hevel because of possibility that you may do it with something that does have a heat source or it does increase the heat. Rashi says, You'll find that his dish is cold. When he wants to put it into Atmana, then he'll boil it up. Then he'll heat it up on Shabbat. It'll be Mavashol on Shabbat. If that's true, that this is all a gzeira atu, then benesh mashod you should have the same gzeira in place. Same gzeira should apply benesh mashod, which is you shouldn't be able to insulate your pots during benesh mashod, which you just saw in the Mishnah is permitted, because maybe you will put it into something that does have a heat source and or does increase the heat, or because you'll find it cold and then you'll be mavashol on Shabbat. Samalei stam kderot rotchot hein says, in general, pots that are going into Shabbat are already hot. So when you're putting in Benesh Meshot and you're taking them right off the fire, then we're not worried about the possibilities. How come you can't use a heat source that increases the intensity of the heat? How come you can't insulate with that? Even when it's still daytime, Gzeira, Shema Yatrim Beremetz Sheish Gechelet. Because then maybe you will use ash, you will use some leftovers from the oven that has a live coal in it. And what's the fear? That you'll stoke the coal in order to heat that object on Shabbat. So what's the problem? Meaning that Abayi asked the problem, which we already spoken in Rabbah's answer, which is what the problem with putting in a gechelet is we're afraid if you use something that is mostly fail and you have a gechalim, you have a coal there, then you'll stoke the coal and that'll increase the fire. So that's the problem with doing something that is mostly fail. So let's start now and take one step back. The reason you cannot insulate with something that is mostly fail is not that there's something inherently wrong with it. There's nothing inherently wrong with insulating with an item that has a heat source or an increasing ability of heat because you set it up before Shabbat, you did it me ojom, it should be totally fine. Why is it problematic? Because we're afraid if we do do this and there's a live coal there, you might come to stoke the coal. The same fear that we had with leaving something in the oven going into Shabbat, that you might stoke the fire, and we know there's a high risk of that. So the Chachamim goes there in these instances because there's a huge temptation to stoke it in order to ensure that the food is ready for that night. So because of that fear, we don't let you do this, even Mibe Ojom. Alright, so here we have three statements of Ravah. One statement of Rav is that you cannot put something at nightfall. Again, either because you'll find it cold and then you'll be mavashal on Shabbat, or because we're afraid of the fact that if you do it then you will do it mosifevo. We have a second statement of Rav is that benesh mashot, it is mutar. Benesh mashot, when it's not mosifevo, like our Mishnah, that is mutar, because that the majority of pots are hot at that time, so there's no reason to be gozer in Eidemosif Hevel because you're not going to come to heat the pot. The pot's already hot. So there's no reason to heat it up. Or again, because the pots are hot, there's no reason to be Mosif Hevel at that time. The last statement of Rava is that when it comes to Mosif Hevel, you may not do it even during daytime. Even at daytime, when it's something that adds heat or there's a heat source in it, you may not do it even at daytime because of Shema Yechateba Gechalim. We're afraid that you're going to stoke it and increase the fire. Those are the three statements of Rava that we just had. The same issue that we have by Shia, which is that even something that's fully cooked, we cannot put on the fire unless you go to the unless you do a full 
preparation where you cannot be mechate anymore. Again, we'll get to that. We're coming up to Perkakira. We'll deal exactly what Gorof Fekotum is. The same is true by Mosif Hevel. That we don't allow you to do it. Even when there's really no chashash of Shemei Yechateh B'Gechalim and it's fully cooked, we still don't allow you to do it because the Gezerah is all-encompassing. We're not going to make it subjective. It's an objective Gezerah. Right, so now the Gemara moves into the issue of Benesh Mashot, which is mentioned in our Mishnah. What is this Benesh Mashot? So Tana Benan, we have a Braita that says, Benesh Mashot, Sefeg Min Ayom Min Alayla. It's Sefeg, whether it's day or night. Sefeg Kula Min Ayom, Sefeg that it's entirely daytime. Sefeg Kula Min Alayla. And Sefeg, whether it's entirely nighttime. So Matilin Oto Luchomer Shnei Yamim. We make it a Chumrah for both. We say that it's both day and night, whichever is the Chumrah. But Ezu ben What is that period? Where is the boundaries of that period? Mishatishka Chama. The time the sun sets, Kozman Shepnei Mizrach Madimim. As long as the sky, the eastern side of the sky, is still red. If the lower parts of the Kippah got dark, but the upper part is still not dark, that is Benesh Mashot. If Sif Elyon Vishva the Tachton, if the upper and lower parts are now equal, Zehulaylo. That is considered to be nighttime. Divrei Rabbi Yehuda. Now the Gemara was going to ask on this. There's a internal problem in the statements over here, but we'll get to that in one second. That is the position of Rabbi Yehuda. But you should know. This is important to know. Is their understanding of what was transpiring when the sun set and the sun rose, and that is they basically believe it was what's called a kippa, a kippa. Literally, like what we have today, a kippah, was that there was a covering over the earth, and that the sky involved a covering. They actually believed that the stars and constellations were attached to this kippah, and the way that the stars moved, or why the moon or the stars were in a different location on different nights, was because the kippah was moving. Not because the earth was moving, but rather the kippah actually moved around. In addition to that, the kippah has what's called a chalon in it, has a window in it. And what happens at night is that the sun, when it sets, it enters through that window. So if you imagine the kippah as being a rainbow, a semicircle with thickness to it, a dome-like structure, the sun set, it penetrates into this kippah. Then it goes through the entire kippah, exits on the other side. Once it's exited on the other side, the sun then goes over the top of the dome and returns to the eastern side, where it will rise in the morning by coming through a chalon, a window on the other side, penetrating through the window. So their understanding is when the sun sets, when the sun leaves the horizon, this will become important in the end of today's daf with the shita drabenu tam, but when the sun sets, what it was doing was entering into the kippah. It's no longer visible because it's entered in the kippah. Why is the sky still light at that point in time? Because the sun is in the kippah, still there, it hasn't exited the other side of the kippah. Once it exits the other side of the kippah, it's going to be completely dark outside because the light of the sun will no longer be visible. So the period of time from the time the sun sets till it's dark outside is a period of time that the sun is traveling through the kippah. So the discussion here of Tachton and Elyon, as you'll see in Rashi, when he mentions, what does it mean, Tachton and Elyon? He says, Tachton shel kippah ta'rakiya The lower part of the kippah, which is close to the land, versus the upper parts of the kippah, where the sun or the light is still visible. Versus when it's completely dark, is when the entire dome and the entire kippah is now dark. So that's what's being discussed over here. These stages, we have a stage where the sun disappears from the horizon. We have a, then a stage where it's still light out, even though the sun is no longer there. 
And then you have a stage where it's dark out. So let's assume that we know that it's daytime when the sun is still there. We know it's nighttime when it's completely dark. Our problem is in that intervening period where the sun is set, but it's still light outside. And that's what's being discussed here in the Brita. And what they're trying to determine is, where are those thresholds? Where are the thresholds where we move from day into twilight, and from twilight into nighttime? So you have Rabbi Yehuda saying, well, you move from day into twilight when the sun sets, and then you move from twilight into nightfall once everything is dark. The problem with that is that he says that there's an interim stage there of twilight, and we're going to have to deal with it. That the Gemara will have to deal with in a second. Okay, the question that you're posing is true, is that the reality of what the Gemara is discussing here doesn't exist. But the same problem still exists, which is that we do have the sunset, and we still have light outside. So you still have to answer the issue, which is that, okay, functionally, it's not because the sun is going into the kiva. It's because it's leaving the horizon, but it's not deep enough on the horizon where it's no longer giving light. So the same problem exists. When the sun is completely out of the horizon, whatever that angle is that we can determine today, that's how you can calculate it, then it'll be nightfall. When the sun leaves the horizon, then that's also the end of daytime. The problem is with that interim period where it's still light on the horizon, and the sun hasn't reached that angle where it's no longer light out. That still exists today, even in the reality of today. So the same question can exist, even though the way they describe it doesn't exist. Once the sun sets, you walk half a meal, and that's, you'll know, that's when the end of Ben is, that's when nightfall is. That the twilight time is like the blink of an eye. One comes in, the other one goes out. And it's impossible to determine it. Okay, so Tosafot raises what Shaul says and says no. It is not a dividing line. He says that Rabbi Yossi still has a safek. Even though it's a blink of an eye, but that blink of an eye is still a safek yom belayla. Not like we would have just translated it. And Tosafot at first attempts to say this, that Rabbi Yossi is simply, there is a line, and that's it. Before is day, after night, and we don't know exactly where that threshold is. But there is a threshold where it's absolute. Tosafot says, no, that there's still, in, even within internally in Rabbi Yossi, even that blink of an eye is also a safek. There is a part of Benesh Meshot that is a safek. It's not just we're not sure where the threshold is. The threshold itself has a safek in it. That's a separate issue, which is that we don't know where that point is. We don't even know where the threshold is. Even if you knew where the threshold is, there is a problem. But when now that we don't know the threshold, it's certainly a problem because we don't know where that is at all. That increases the area where you can have the safek now. We don't know when the blink is, so that causes the safek. But even if you knew when the blink is there would still be a safek in that blink period. It's now the Gemara says, Amar Mar, Melatinin oto l'chomer shnei yamim. It says over here that we go l'chomrah for both days. Tamai hilchata. What's the halacha that derives from this? So Amar Vuna Breda Rishuna, Inyan Tumah. It has to do with Tumah. What does it mean that we go l'chomrah, whether it's day, whether it's night, or whether it's both? How do we come to an issue like that? So Inyan Tumah, Kedzitnan. We have a Mishnah in Zavim. Now, with regards to a Zav, a Zav can have multiple sightings, and it has impact on him when he has multiple sightings. The first sighting he has, he's the equivalent of a person who has a Ri'iyah of Sheikh Zera, which means that he has Tumat Erev. He simply has to go to the Mikveh, and then at nightfall, at sunset of that day, he is Tahor. If he has a second sighting, then he has what's called Tumat Shiv'a. He's Tameh for seven days. But at the end of the seventh day, he goes to the Mikveh, the sun sets on the seventh day, he's Tahor. If he has three consecutive sightings, 
then not only is he Tamei for seven days, he has to bring a Korban on the eighth day. So the number of sightings is important over here. Now, it doesn't matter whether he has three sightings on a single day, or if he has those sightings on multiple days, as long as they're consecutive days. So it doesn't matter to us whether they all happen in one day, or whether they happen over a string of three days. If they have two and one, one and two. Either way, he will be considered a Zav. So the Indian Tuma over here is, Ketzan, Ra'ah Shnei Yamim Ben Hashmashot. Saw two days, Ben Hashmashot. Safek L'Tuma, Ulur Korban. Is it Safek whether he's Tamei or a Korban? Ra'ah Yom Echad Ben Hashmashot. If he sees one day Ben Hashmashot, Safek L'Tuma. Then he's just the Safek L'Tuma. So let's understand this. We'll go with Rashi's explanation now. We'll mention what Tosvot says afterwards. So if he sees one time Ben Hashmashot, he sees one time Ben Hashmashot, the possibility is that he saw a single Re'iyah, and now he only has what's called Tumat Erev. He simply has a din of Tumat Shefot Zerah, he doesn't have Tumat Zav whatsoever. The other possibility is when he sees on that, on that one night, that he saw through the entire period of Ben Hashmashot. If he does that, then it's a Safek Yom, Safek Laila, it's a possibility that he saw it over two days. Because the possibility is it's the end of the previous day, the beginning of the next day. So his sighting actually stretched over or was straddled over the two days. Since he was straddled over the two days, he actually saw it twice, and that makes him into a Tumat Zab of seven days of Tumat. So that's the Safek when it comes to seeing it on one day. So either he saw it during the day, or he saw it at night, which makes it Tumat Arab, or he saw it both at night and day, which makes him to Safek that he might have two sightings here and be Tamei Tumat Shiva. On the other hand, if he sees two periods of Benesh Mashot, then we have three possibilities as to what his story is. One possibility is when he sees in these two Benesh Mashot, is that the easiest one is that he has two sightings. He has one sighting that was at night, one sighting that was during the day. So therefore, he has two sightings on the same day, and therefore he'll be Tamei Tumachiva, or the other possibility is both Benesh Mashot he saw during the daytime. He did that, then he saw two consecutive days in a row. Or, he saw both Ben Hashemashot at nighttime, which means, again, he's seeing two consecutive days in a row. So, any way that you have it, in terms of seeing a Ben Hashemashot, where he either saw it both times at what's called nightfall, that it's considered to be night during that Ben Hashemashot, both times it's considered to be daytime, then in both those instances, he saw them a day apart. A day apart is considered to be fine in terms of consecutive days, and that means he has two sightings. Stamei Tumat Shiva. The same will be true if he saw it at nightfall on the first Benesh Bashot. Daytime on the second Benesh Bashot, which means, again, it's the same day. Because night, day belongs to the next day. And the daytime on the next Benesh Bashot is the same day. So all those will result in having Tumat Shiva. The other possibility is that he saw it, Benesh Bashot, in a time period that is both day and night. So he saw it in a period that is both day and night, and then he sees in the subsequent Benesh Bashot during the day, now he has three sightings. Three sightings will make him Tamei Tumat Shiva plus a Korban. Because now he had three sightings. The first Benesh Meshot, he saw day and night. And then the subsequent Benesh Meshot, he saw during the day. So when he does that, he's now seen it consecutive three times over consecutive days. That is considered to be Tumat Zava. Or he could have seen it, again, on the first Benesh Meshot, day and night. And the second Benesh Meshot at night. Again, that's still two consecutive days. Because he sighted on nightfall on the first Benesh Meshot, which is the next day. And then the following day, when a Benesh Meshot was nightfall, is the next day. But those are consecutive days. And you have three sightings that makes him Tamei Tumat Shiva. 
plus the korban. Yes, so we'll discuss what he does in that instance. We'll do it now, since you asked where. So, a korban, you bring a bird. Korban for a, a zav is a bird, and birds are allowed to bring Allah safek. So that's a khatat that you can bring with safek and the birds, it's just not ne'achal al-kohanim. So that you do, that's how you solve the problem there where it's a safek. The third possibility is, the third possibility is that he had a sighting on the first Benesh Meshot, and it was considered to be daytime. He has a sighting on the second Benesh Meshot, and it's considered to be nightfall. If that's the case, they are not consecutive days. There's a day in between them. The first sighting was daytime. So let's say, for instance, it's Sunday night. It's Sunday night, Benesh Meshot, if he sees when it's still daytime, that means it's still Sunday. The next Benesh Meshot, which is on Monday night, he sees when it's considered to be night. That means it's no longer Monday, it's already Tuesday. That's the case, there's not consecutive sightings, and then he'll be, he's only to make Tumat Shechlat Zera. So you have all three possibilities. So in summary, if he had a sighting on Sunday night, Benesh Mashot, and on Monday night, Benesh Mashot, if we classify both Sunday night, Benesh Mashot as daytime, and Monday night, Benesh Mashot as daytime, then he saw on Sunday, and on Monday. If, on the other hand, we classify the Sunday night Benesh Mashot as nighttime, and the Monday night as nighttime, that means that he saw on Monday and Tuesday. And then the third possibility where he saw on Sunday night Benesh Mashot, we classify that as night, and the Monday night Benesh Mashot that we classify as day, then he had two sightings on Monday. One on the night beginning Monday, and one at the tail end of Monday. In all those cases, he has two sightings, and he has Tumat Shiva. In the instance where we classify Sunday night as being daytime, and we classify Monday night Benesh Meshot as being nighttime, then he will not have consecutive days of sightings. Because Sunday night will be classified as Sunday, and Monday day will be classified as Tuesday. So you have the Monday in between them, and therefore the two sightings will not connect. And we only have Tumat Erev of Shechvat Zera. The last possibility is that we classify either Sunday night or Monday night, or both of them as both being day and night. In that instance, then, he will have three sightings. Because if we classify Sunday night as both being day and night, and then he has a subsequent sighting on Monday, doesn't matter whether it's day or night, in that instance, now he has three days of sightings. Sunday, Sunday night, which is really Monday, and then either Monday during the day or... Nighttime, which is Tuesday. So those will be three sightings that will make him to make Tumat Shiva plus a Korban. And the same would be true if we classify Monday night as being both day and night, and Sunday night as either day or night. Or if we classify both of them as day or night, he'll end up with three sightings on consecutive days or the same day. And if that's the case, he has Tumat Shiva plus a Korban. Now Rashi does something amazing here, and this is what Tosafot objects to, which is that Rashi says that Ebenesh Rashot can be Yom or Laila. And that the safek is so real that if you had a sighting on the exact same time on Sunday night and on Monday night, one of them can be classified as safek yom and one of them can be considered laila. That means at the exact same time you sighted on both nights, one of them can be classified as yom, one of them can be classified as laila. That's the way Rashi does it. Rashi does this throughout Shas. When he says that Benesh Meshur is a safek, he literally means it's a safek. The same exact period on both nights, one of them can be classified as yom, one of them can be classified as laila. But you're saying Rashi's taking the Brayta literally, which is that it can be both. Both means two different Benesh Mashots could be, one could be Yom, one could be Laila. It's still very difficult, because you do have an alternative explanation to that, and that's the way Tosafot in the end goes. In the original explanation, he, he says something different in order to avoid the problem. In the end, he basically says, the solution to the problem is to say that he saw it two different times during Benesh Meshot. And that's the simple answer, which is, there's a Safeq Yom, Safeq Laila, Safeq Yom Vilayla. We don't know, because depending when you see during Benesh Meshot, you might actually have 
a period of time where it's both Yom or Laila. But that means if he saw on Sunday night early in Benesh Mashot, and Monday night late in Benesh Mashot, then that suffix exists. Because one of them could be Yom, one of them could be Laila. So that's what it means with the suffix that we're having here between Yom and Laila. Alright, so that's how Tosafot explains it. So now what we have here is an explanation of what the Chumrah is. We go to Chumrah and say that he is misafek, he's Tameh in these instances. If he has one sighting, he's Safek Tumat Shiva. If he sees it over two Benesh Mashot, then he is a Safek Tumat Shiva with the Korban. And we go to Chumrah in that case. Now the Gemara goes back to the Stira that we had in the Brayta. This is internal Stira in that Brayta. Amart. Ezu Benesh Mashot. What is Benesh Mashot? Mishetishka Chama. The time the sun sets. As long as the eastern side is still red. That would imply once the lower half already has darkened and the upper part is still light, that's already nighttime. Because you think the sun sets on the west. So for the eastern side, the eastern side is going to get darker first. So you'll have a period of time where the sun is set. The east, this happens here all the time, you can see that. You look out to the east, it's completely dark. You look out to the west, it's still light out. So we're describing what it seems to be from this is that already be classified as nighttime. Because the Safek of Benesh Meshur is from the sun setting until the period of time where that would be the period of time that's considered to be Benesh Meshur. And the implications from that is if the east already is dark and the west is still light, that Lailu, it's completely night. And then it continues and says if the eastern side, the lower part is dark and the upper part is still light, that's considered to be Benesh Meshur. So which is it? Is that Benesh Mashot? Is that night? So Amar Rabba, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Proch Vitani. Join them together and put them together. Ezu Benesh Mashot. What is Benesh Mashot? Mishtishka Achama. From the time the sun sets, calls Zmanch Pnei Misrach Madimim. That's as long as the eastern side is red, then it's still Benesh Mashot. Hiksif Tatachtom Belichsif Ayon. If the eastern side's gone dark, the lower part of the eastern side's got dark, but the upper part is still light. Nami Benesh Mashot. That's still Benesh Mashot. When is it Badai Laila? If both sides, now the entire sky is dark, that is considered to be night. So the stretch of Benesh Meshot is a, a period that is over two periods of time, where they're discernible. It's a period of time from the time that the sun sets, while the east is still red, then even once the east has gone dark, and the other part of the sky is still light, that's still Benesh Meshot. When we finally add a Benesh Meshot, when it goes completely dark. That's the solution of Rabbah Merav Yudah when the sun sets, it's still day. Meaning that even after the sun sets, it's still daytime. As long as the eastern side is still red. Still, it's still light on the eastern side. Then, when the eastern side goes, the lower half goes dark, and the upper part still has light, that's the beginning of Benesh Mashot. Then it's nighttime. So, but Rabbah's solution is to say that the Benesh Meshot period is much larger. Rabbi Yosef's solution is to say that day actually exists much longer. Day goes for a longer time. Not when the sun leaves the horizon, it is day over. Day is only over after the sun leaves the horizon, plus the eastern side of the lower half of the sky has gone dark. It's no longer red. That's the end of daytime, according to Rabbi Yosef. Then they go according to their own reasonings, which is the Imar Shir Benesh Meshot Bekama. How long is the duration of this twilight? So, Amar Rabba, Rabbi Yudam Shmuel, Shlosha Chelke Meal, three parts of a meal. So, when it says, My Gimel Chelke Meal, what does it mean, three parts of a meal? Ilema Tlata Pauge, three halves of a meal. 
Then Neymar meal bechetzer mechsa. Just say one and a half meal. Why are you saying three three halves? So ella tlata tilte. What are you going to say? It's three thirds of a meal. Tlata tilte meal. Name a meal. Three thirds is a whole, which is a meal. Ella must be tlata rive meal. Three quarters of a meal. So the extent or the duration of Benish Mashot, according to Rabbi, is three quarters of a meal. It's two parts of a meal. So again, my meal. What does it mean, two parts of a meal? meal could be trade two halves of a meal. Then just say meal. Two halves is a whole. So just say a meal. Ella tray rive, what are you gonna say? It's two quarters of a meal, like Rabbi said. So then Mila, Lay meal, that's a half meal. Ella tre tilte meal. It must be two thirds of a meal. So we know three quarters of a meal is 0.75. Two thirds of a meal is 0.66. My benayu. What's the difference between them? If benayu, palga de danko. A danko is a sixth. So palga de danka, half a sixth is a twelfth. Which is basically if you take two thirds and three quarters and you take a common denominator between them, you raise them both to twelve. Three quarters is nine twelfths. Two thirds is eight twelfths. Nine twelfths minus eight twelfths is one twelfth. And that's the difference between them. But you see the duration of Ben Shvashot for Rabbah is longer than the duration for Rav Yosef. And that's consistent with what they're saying. Right, so Rabbah has a longer Ben Shvashot. Rav Yosef's Ben Shvashot starts much later. And the Gemara says, bechalata. The opposite is true, Bechaveret, with the size of a Kaveret that you're allowed to carry on Shabbat. We'll deal with that tomorrow. The Gemara is going to explain that all tomorrow, that their opinions are the opposite. Meaning that one that Rav Yosef, who has a smaller shear here, has a bigger shear there. And Rabbah, who has a bigger shear here, has a smaller shear over there. The other thing that I will address with you tomorrow is Shittat Rabbeinu Tam, which derives from the statement of this Gemara, that how we get to the Rabbeinu Tam's 72 minutes based on this Gemara. Okay, we'll stop here.